Make Way for Ducklings by Robert McCluskey. Mr. and Mrs. Mallard were looking for a place to live. But every time Mr. Mallard saw what looked like a nice place, Mrs. Mallard said it was no good. There were sure to be foxes in the woods or turtles in the water, and she was not going to raise a family where there might be foxes or turtles. So they flew on and on. When they got to Boston, they felt too tired to fly any further. There was a nice pond in the public garden with a little island on it. The very place to spend the night, quacked Mr. Mallard. So down they flapped. Next morning, they fished for their breakfast in the mud at the bottom of the pond. But they didn't find much. Just as they were getting ready to start on their way, a strange, enormous bird came by. It was pushing a boat full of people, and there was a man sitting on its back. Good morning, quacked Mr. Mallard, being polite. The big bird was too proud to answer, but the people on the bird threw peanuts into the water, so the mallards followed them all around the pond and got another breakfast, better than the first. I like this place, said Mrs. Mallard, as they climbed out on the bank and waddled along. Why don't we build a nest and raise our ducklings right in this pond? There are no foxes and no turtles, and the people feed us peanuts. What could be better? Good, said Mr. Mallard, delighted that at last Mrs. Mallard had found a place that suited her. But... Look out, squacked Mrs. Mallard all in a dither. You'll get us run over. And when she took her, caught her breath, she said, This is no place for babies with all those horrid things rushing about. We'll have to look somewhere else. So they flew over Beacon Hill and round the State House, but there was no place there. They looked in Louisburg Square, but there was no water to swim in. <clears throat> then they flew over the Charles River. This is better, quacked Mr. Mallard. <clears throat> That island looks like a nice, quiet place, and it's only a little way from the public garden. Yes, said Mrs. Mallard, remembering the peanuts. That looks like just the right place to hatch the ducklings. So they chose a cozy spot among the bushes near the water and settled down to build their nest. And only just in time, for now they were beginning to molt. All their old wing feathers started to drop out, and they would not be able to fly again till the new ones came in. But of course they could swim, and one day they swam over to the park on the riverbank, and there they met a policeman called Michael. Michael fed them peanuts, and after that the Mallards called on Michael every day. After Mrs. Mallard had laid eight eggs in the nest, she couldn't go visit Michael anymore because she had to sit on the eggs to keep them warm. She moved off the nest only to get a drink of water to have her lunch, or to count the eggs and make sure they were all there. One day the ducklings hatched out. First came Jack, then Cack, then Lack, then Mac and Knack and Whack and Pack and Quack. Mr. and Mrs. Mallard were bursting with pride. It was a great responsibility taking care of so many ducklings, and it kept them very busy. One day, Mr. Mallard decided he'd like to take a trip to see what the rest of the river was like further on. So off he said, I'll meet you in a week in the public garden, he quacked over his shoulder. Take good care of the ducklings. Don't you worry, said Mrs. Mallard. I know all about bringing up children. And she did. She taught them how to swim and dive. She taught them to walk in a line, to come when they were called, and to keep a safe distance from bikes and scooters and other things with wheels. When at last she felt perfectly satisfied with them, she said one morning, Come along, children, follow me. Before you could wink an eyelash, Jack, Cat, Glack, Mac, Knack, Whack, Pack, and Quack fell into line, just as they had been taught. Mrs. Mallard led the way into the water, and they swam behind her to the opposite bank. There they waded ashore and waddled along till they came to the highway. Mrs. Mallard stopped out to cross the road. 
Honk, honk, went the horns on the speeding cars. Quack, went Mrs. Mallard as she tumbled back again. Quack, 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 went Jack, Cat, Clack, Mac, Knack, Quack, Pack, and Quack, just as loud as their little quackers could quack. The cars kept speeding by and honking, and Mrs. Mallard and the ducklings kept right on quack, quack, quacking. They made such a noise that Michael came running, waving his arms and blowing his whistle. He planted himself in the center of the road, raised one hand to stop the traffic, and then beckoned with the other the way policemen do for Mrs. Mallard to cross over. As soon as Mrs. Mallard and the ducklings were safe on the other side and on their way down Mount Vernon Street, Michael rushed back to his police booth. He called Clancy at headquarters and said, There's a family of ducks walking down the street. Clancy said, Family of what? Ducks, yelled Michael. Send a police car, quick. Meanwhile, Mrs. Mallard had reached the Conner bookstore and turned into Charles Street with Jack, Cat, Clack, Mac, Knack, Quack, Pack, all quack, all marching in line behind her. Everyone stared. An old lady from Beacon Hill said, Isn't it amazing? And the man who swept the street said, Well, now, ain't that nice? And when Mrs. Mallard heard them, she was so proud, she tipped her nose in the air and walked along with an extra swing in her waddle. When they came to the corner of Beacon Street, there was the police car with four policemen that Clancy had sent from headquarters. The policemen held back the traffic so Mrs. Mallard and the ducklings could march across the street right into the public garden. Inside the gate, they all turned around to say thank you to the policemen. The policemen smiled and waved goodbye. When they reached the pond and swam across to the little island, there was Mr. Mallard waiting for them, just as he had promised. The ducklings liked the new island so much that they decided to live there. All day long they followed the swan boats and eat peanuts. And when night falls, they swim to their little island and go to sleep. Because Amelia Smiled by David Ezra Stein. Because Amelia smiled coming down the street, Mrs. Higgins smiled too. She thought of her grandson Lionel in Mexico and baked some cookies to send to him. Because Mrs. Higgins baked cookies, Lionel ate one of the cookies. He decided to share the rest with his class and teach them an English song about cookies. Because Lionel taught his class a song, one of his students, kickboxer Sensacia Golpes, decided to be a teacher too. She had her cousin record her in the plaza and put the video online. Zesta Crump and her ballet club in England saw the video and decided to add some new moves to their goodwill recital. In Israel, Klotz Guberman, aged four who was in the audience, decided he liked dancing after all. At bedtime, he danced his brother Ichabod to sleep. Because Kotz danced him to sleep, Ichabod slept all the night through. In the apartment next door, Betty Marlinspike, glamorous rumba queen, got a great night's sleep. She woke up in a good mood and took the band to get their hair done in Paris. The band felt so fancy they gave her free show on the Pont Neuf. On the barge below, Gregor the ex-clown listened and sighed. Their love song, Con Corazón Intacto, reminded him of his old flame, the amazing Phyllis, who lived in Positano, Italy. The next morning, he bought a bouquet to send her with a note that said, Phyllis, after all these years, will you marry me? Phyllis was so happy, she threw roses from a high wire. She was caught on film by a TV crew that was doing a story on stray cats. Back in New York, Lydia Frittata saw Phyllis on TV while making pizzas on Carmine Street. 
On the subway home, she began a scarf of roses for her niece, Pia Maria. She sat across from Pigeon Man Jones. He watched her and remembered his dear old grandma, who loved to knit. When he got back to his rooftop and let his pigeons out, he wondered if maybe somehow, wherever Grandma was, she could see them. Because Pigeon Man Jones let his birds out, Amelia saw them, and she smiled. The Ultimate Guide to Grandmas and Grandpas by Sally Lloyd-Jones, illustrated by Michael Emberley. When you have a grandma or a grandpa, you need to sing to them and dance for them and paint lovely pictures for them. When you have a grandma or a grandpa, you need to hold their hand when they cross the street and help them park the car. When it's nice outside, it's good to take your grandma and grandpa on picnics and show them you're running and you're swimming. But you must be able to see them all the time in case they run off. You need to teach your grandma football. Let her score touchdowns and then shout, Good job, Grandma! It's important to let your grandpa have some of your ice cream and let him build you big sandcastles like when he was a boy. You have to let him sit in them. And then you need to knock them over so he can do it again. You need to make sure your grandma and grandpa have their naps when they're tired. Sometimes you have to take a nap with them so they're not the only ones. And if they're sick, you must let them borrow your special blanket. When you have a grandma or a grandpa, you need to always play with them and sometimes let them win. You need to always love their dinners and eat them up and always ask for more and let them give you special treats you're not allowed at home. You must always let them give you presents and keep you up late. You must sit in your grandpa's lap so he can practice his reading on you. And before you go to sleep, you need to listen to your grandma's stories about Blackbeard and pirates and danger on the high seas. When you have a grandma or a grandpa, you need to let them make you things and tell you secrets about how naughty your mommy was when she was little. And when they throw you up in the sky, a good thing to shout is, again, and then let them tickle you. And when you wave goodbye, a good thing to say is, au revoir, which means you'll come back soon. But mostly when you have a grandma or a grandpa, you need to kiss them and hug them and always love them because that's what grandmas and grandpas like best in all the world. Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss. I am Sam. I am Sam. Sam I am. That's Sam I am. That's Sam I am. I do not like that Sam I am. Do you like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Would you like them here or there? I would not like them here or there. I would not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. Would you like them in a house? Would you like them with a mouse? I do not like them in a house. I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. Would you eat them in a box? Would you eat them with a fox? Not in a box, not with a fox, not in a house, not with a mouse. I would not eat them here or there. I would not eat them anywhere. I would not eat grain eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. Would you, could you in a car? Eat them, eat them, here they are. I would not, could not in a car. 
You may like them. You will see. You may like them in a tree. I would not, could not in a tree, not in a car. You let me be. I do not like them in a box. I do not like them with a fox. I do not like them in a house. I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. A train, a train, a train, a train. Could you, would you on a train? Not on a train, not in a tree, not in a car. Sam, let me be. I would not, could not in a box. I could not, would not with a fox. I will not eat them with a mouse. I will not eat them in a house. I will not eat them here or there. I will not eat them anywhere. I do not eat green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. Say, in the dark, you're in the dark. Would you, could you in the dark? I would not, could not in the dark. Would you, could you in the rain? I would not, could not in the rain, not in the dark, not on a train, not in a car, not in a tree. I do not like them, Sam, you see. Not in a house, not in a box, not with a mouse, not with a fox. I will not eat them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. You do not like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam, I am. Could you, would you with a goat? I would not, could not with a goat. Would you, could you on a boat? I could not, would not on a boat. I will not, will not with a goat. I will not eat them in the rain. I will not eat them on a train. Not in the dark, not in a tree, not in a car. You let me be. I do not like them in a box. I do not like them with a fox. I will not eat them in a house. I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. You do not like them, so you say. Try them, try them, and you may. Try them, and you may, I say. Sam, if you will let me be, I will try them. You will see. Say, I like green eggs and ham. I do, I like them, Sam I am. And I would eat them in a boat. And I would eat them with a goat. And I will eat them in the rain and in the dark and on a train and in a car and in a tree. They are so good. So good, you see. So I will eat them in a box and I will eat them with a fox. And I will eat them in a house and I will eat them with a mouse. And I will eat them here and there. Say, I will eat them anywhere. I do so like green eggs and ham. Thank you, thank you, Sam, I am. Town Mouse, Country Mouse by Jan Brett. One morning, the town mouse woke up shivering from a dream about the kitchen cat who prowled the house. I need a vacation, he said to his wife. Let me take you to see the countryside where I was born. Life is quiet and peaceful there. The sun shines brightly every day and the air is so clear that you can see the stars at night. And nothing will prepare you for the taste of wild blackberries. Let's go right away, she said. So the town mouse and his wife packed a picnic and set off for the country. The country mouse and her husband were at their tree stump house, exhausted for searching for, from searching for food and avoiding the hungry owl who lived nearby. 
Sometimes I wish we lived in a townhouse where all the food you can eat is right there in the pantry. They say that the smell of cheese makes your whispers tingle. Mine are tingling already, her husband explained. The town mouse were outside the country mouse's house, putting a huge chunk of cheese in the middle of their picnic cloth. The country mice peered down at it. They heard the town mouse exclaim, This is the life! Wildflowers, spring peepers, if only we lived here! The country mouse crept out. You like it here, they asked. Why, we've always wanted to live in a townhouse. The town mouse offered them a nibble of cheese. Why don't we trade houses, he said. Would you, asked the country mouse, her mouth stuffed full of the delicious cheese. We'll leave right away, she said. As they said goodbye, each of the mice thought that they had the better part of the bargain. It was dark when the country mice arrived in town and found the house. They tiptoed inside and wandered into the sewing room where they found what they thought was a sumptuous bed and felt sound asleep. Much too early the next morning, a loud clanging woke them up. Sooty clouds of smoke were pouring over them, and they heard a strange voice purring loudly. Sauces and ham, it's hungry I am. Sauces and ham, it's hungry I am. Mice in my stew, wait till I catch you. Who do you think that is, the country mouse, asked his wife. The town mouse and his wife were up with the birds, ready to gather wild blackberries in the grassy meadow for breakfast. They could smell them. They just couldn't find them. As the town mouse's wife turned to remind her husband to remember the way home, she felt a large, wet drop on her head. What was that, she asked. Is the bathtub leaking? No, we're in the country now, he said. Those are raindrops. Just then, lightning lit up the sky and rain poured down as the two drenched mice ran wildly for their tree stump home. The country mice were looking forward to their first splendid meal in the pantry. I'm sure there's ham in the ice chest and rolls in the bread box, but the best smell of all is coming from up there, the country mice told her husband. It must be a fine old cheese. I'll get on your shoulders and get it. But she couldn't quite reach it. Stand on your toes, she called down. But just as she got a hold of the cheese, his, her husband lost his balance. The top slammed down and she was left hanging by her tail. Help me, help me, I'm caught. Back in the country, the town mouse had put on dry clothes. He was especially proud of his bright new jacket. So colorful and eye-catching, he said to his wife, let's stroll in the forest. We'll come back loaded with acorns and hickory nuts. But their walk was soon interrupted. The town mouse's colorful coat was so eye-catching that it caught the eye of a curious blackbird, and as if his wife hadn't held him by his foot, he would have been carried off. Not far away in town, the country mouse felt his wife's silky tail. Nothing broken, he said, but when he looked in her eyes, he saw how sad and discouraged she was. I know something that will cheer us up, he told her. Follow me. He had spied a small window up above the pantry shelves. To glare there, they climbed higher and higher. When they reached the top, he rubbed away the soot and they looked out at a piece of blue sky. Doesn't it look like home, the country mouse asked his wife. The town mice stood quietly together after their awful blackbird scare. I thought I'd lost you forever, the town mouse whispered to her husband. They looked around. How still and peaceful it was now. The sun had come out and everything was glistening and green. It is beautiful here, she said. We should try to enjoy it. I know, the town mouse said, but I miss the sound of the town. All the hustle and bustle. Here I feel so alone. And in our cozy townhouse, we knew what to expect, his wife added. The country mouse 
mice knew to stay home in a thunderstorm, and they knew what to expect from the hungry owl. But they soon found out that there were different dangers here when they discovered a tasty morsel of blue cheese sitting on a pine board. This time you take the cheese. I'm still shaking from being caught in the cheese box, the country mouse said. So her husband crept toward the cheese, whiskers trembling. As he reached it, his foot slipped, and he heard a whoosh followed by an enormous snap, and he was thrown across the room. He landed in a warm bundle of something soft and furry. The country mouse was shaking from his close call. I can barely stand. He winced as his wife pulled him up and patted on his crumpled whiskers. It was then that she noticed the bundle on which her husband landed was tipping and turning. It was alive. Two green eyes snapped open. Run, she cried, getting a good look at it. It's an owl with teeth. The town mouse knew how to avoid mousetraps set with cheese, but they soon found out that the country has its own perils when they explored the riverbank hand in hand. Suddenly, the water began to boil and churn, and a huge wet head popped up and stared at them. It was a river otter. The mice tore back to their tree stump home, only to find a hedgehog rolled into a ball in front of their door. Then they heard an animal crashing toward them through the underbrush. I can't take this anymore, the town mouse quacked, and she raced for the nearest tree with her husband right behind her. From the tree, they could see the town lights blink on as the sun went down and the stars came out one by one. What shall we do, the town mouse asked his wife. But before she could answer, she saw a pair of glowing eyes right beside them, and they were face to face with the most towering creature, terrifying creature of all. A cat with wings, shrieked the town mouse. That's it for me, his wife cried, and they ran down the tree and toward the town as fast as their legs could carry them. As the town mice headed frantically along the road, the country mice were fleeing in terror toward the country. Their paths crossed, but neither saw the other. They were so frightened. Even the sky seemed to be falling down on them. The country mice didn't stop running until they could see their tree stump in the distance. The town mice kept running until they reached their townhouse. The musty smell of old wood and smoke from the kitchen all seemed wonderful. Even the street sounds outside sounded cheerful and friendly. There's no place like home, sighed the town mouse, and he and his wife settled into a warm old slipper. There's no place like home. Amid their cozy tree stump house, the country mouse and her husband looked up at a full moon shining down on them. They sighed happily. We missed you, they said together. Back on the road, the cat and the owl had knocked each other out when they collided head on. The clap cat, slowly waking up, touched his bruised head gingerly. He looked up to see the owl brushing himself off. It was then that he had an idea. Owl, how would you like to trade places with me? I've always wanted to try the simple life in the country. The Country Bunny and the Little Gold Shoes by DuBose Hayward, pictures by Marjorie Flack. We hear of the Easter Bunny who comes each Easter day before sunrise to bring eggs for boys and girls, so we think there's only one. But this is not so. There are really five Easter bunnies, and they must be the five kindest and swiftest and wisest bunnies in the whole wide world, because between sunset on Easter Eve and dawn on Easter morning, they do more work than most rabbits do in a whole year. 
When one of the Easter bunnies grows old and can no longer run fast, the old, wise, and kind grandfather bunny who lives at the Palace of Easter Eggs calls the bunnies together from the whole world to select the very best one to take the place. Often a mother bunny says to her child, now if you learn to be wise and kind and swift, someday you may grow up to be one of the Easter bunnies. And all of the babies try their very best so that they can grow up and go to work for the grandfather bunny at the Palace of Easter Eggs. One day, a little country girl bunny with a brown skin and a little cotton ball of a tail said, someday I shall grow up to be an Easter bunny. You wait and see. Then all of the big white bunnies who lived in fine houses and the jackrabbits with long legs who can run so fast laughed at the little cottontail and told her to go back to the country and eat a carrot. But she said, wait and see. The little girl cottontail grew up to be a young lady cottontail. And by and by, she and her husband had a husband. And then one day, much to her surprise, there were 21 cottontail babies to take care of. Then the big white rabbits and the jacks with long legs laughed and laughed, and they said, What did we tell you? Only a country rabbit would go and have all those babies. Now take care of them and leave Easter eggs to great big men buddies like us. And they went away liking themselves very much. Cottontail stopped thinking about hopping over the world with lovely eggs for little boys and girls, and she took care of her babies. And one day when her children stopped being babies and were little girl and boy bunnies, she called them to her and said, Now we are going to have some fun. Then to two of them she gave little brooms and showed them how to sweep the cottage. And two she taught how to make the beds. Two more went with her into the kitchen and in no time at all had found out how to cook a good dinner. And with these went the two little dishwashers and they made the glasses shine like crystal. Two had little wash tubs full of soap suds and they washed all the linen. Two did the sewing and the mending. Two who had sweet voices were taught to sing and two more to dance. And these amused all the others while they worked so that they were gay and happy. Two others were soon digging in the garden. To two she gave paints and crayons so they could make pretty pictures for the walls. And when Mother Cottontail had given out all of the tasks, she looked around and there was only one little boy bunny left and he was sad and lonely. Then Mother Cottontail said to him, you are the most polite of all my children, so I shall make you keeper of my chair. And whenever I come to dinner, you shall seat me politely at the table. Then one day when the little rabbits were half grown up, she heard a great talk among the woods rabbits. And she went, she asked what it was about. They said, haven't you heard? One of the five Easter bunnies has grown too slow, and we are all going to the Palace of Easter Eggs to see old grandfather pick out a new one to take his place. So she called all her little cottontails, and they all went off to the palace to see the fun. But their mother was sad because she thought that now she was nothing but an old mother bunny and could only look on, and that a big, handsome, white rabbit or long-legged jack would be chosen. When they came to the Palace of Easter Eggs, there were bunnies everywhere on the great lawn. And the ones who hoped to be the Easter Bunny stood together, and all the others looked at them and clapped their paws. Then the big front door opened, and the old and wise and kind grandfather came hopping slowly out. And he told the biggest and those with the longest eggs, legs to show what they could do. They jumped and ran and showed him their pretty white fur, and they were all very fast and very clever. But still he did not pick one. And he said to them, you're pretty and you are fast, but you have not shown me that you are either kind or wise. Then his kind old eyes looked everywhere, and at last they rested on little cottontail mother, where she stood with her children around her. 
and he called her to come right up to the palace steps. So she took her 21 children and went up and stood before him. And when he spoke, his voice was so kind that she was not frightened at all. And he said, what a large family you have, my dear. I suppose they take all their time. But she said, when they were babies, they were so. But now they are so well-trained that they do most of the work for me. Ah, he said, smiling, you must be very wise to train so many children so well. But tell me, do they always look so happy? And do they always hold their ears up so prettily? Indeed they do, she answered. We never have a tear or a crossword in our little country cottage. And if I do say it myself, they carry their ears better than most bunnies. Then, he said, patting the nearest bunny on the head, you must be very kind indeed to have such a happy home. It's too bad you've had no time to run and grow swift, as I might then have made you my fifth Easter bunny. At that, Mother Cottontail started to laugh, and then she whispered to the little bunnies, and every rabbit on the lawn looked to see what would happen, and the old grandfather leaned forward to watch. Suddenly, all of her 21 children raced away, and Cottontail dashed after them, and in no time at all, she had them all back again in front of the palace. Then the old, kind, wise grandfather bunny said, I see that you are swift also. It's too bad that you cannot go to carry my eggs, because you will have to stay home to take care of her children. Mother Cottontail nodded her head to the little ones, and they all formed a line and bowed low to the grandfather. Then she stepped in front of them and she said, they will take better care of the house than I. Then she called them up two by two, and as she put her hands on the heads of each pair, she said, these are my sweepers. They keep the cottage as clean as your hand. These make the beds without a wrinkle. These cook my dinner. These wash the dishes. These tend the garden. These wash and dry all the clothes. These do the mending. These sing and these dance to keep us merry while we work. These are learning to paint pretty pictures for our walls. And this littlest one of all always pulls out my chair for me when I sit at table. So you see, I can leave them to take care of the house till I come home. Then the old wise grandfather said, You have proved yourself to be not only wise and kind and swift, but also very clever. Come to the palace tomorrow afternoon, for that is Easter Eve, and you shall be <coughs> my fifth Easter bunny. The next evening, Cottontail knocked on the big front door and was admitted to the palace. There she stood in her funny country clothes, but none of the other four Easter bunnies laughed, for they were wise and kind and knew better. They showed her all over the palace from room to room, all piled high with eggs of gold and silver and eggs that glittered like snow, chocolate eggs, marshmallow eggs, eggs for rich children and eggs for poor children, for children who were sick and for children who were well, all over the world. Then as soon as it was dark enough to the children to be asleep all over the world, the old, wise, kind grandfather gave the word and the five bunnies set to work as fast as they could. First one, then another would take a large egg or a pretty little basket and in a single hop would be out of the palace and away out of sight. Then in a moment he would be back again and before you could say Jack Robinson, he would have whisked away again. Slowly the night wore away and the bunnies began to look tired as they kept returning for more and more eggs. And in the palace, the glittering piles grew smaller and smaller. Poor little Cottontail was very tired, for this was the first time she had ever gone so far or so fast in her life, and she was beginning to hope that she could soon take the little basket that was set aside for her own children and go hopping home when the old, wise, kind grandfather called her to him. When she went close, she saw that he was holding in his hand the loveliest egg she had ever seen. It glittered like a diamond. 
peek through and see what you shall see, he said. So she peeked through the little hole in one end, and she saw a beautiful scene with a sleigh and a lake with people skating on the ice. And he said, because you have such a loving heart for children, I'm going to give you the best but the hardest trip of all. Far off over two rivers and three mountains, there's a great mountain peak. And in a little cottage on that peak is a little boy who has been ill for a whole year and who has been so brave that never once has he cried or complained. The mountain is so high that there's ice on the top and it will be hard to climb. But if you get there, you will give more happiness than any other Easter bunny. Cottontail picked up the egg very gently and went hopping away on her journey. She crossed the first river and then the second. She went over the first mountain and then another mountain and yet another, until at last she reached the highest mountain of all. She was very tired when at last she got to the bottom of the great peak, and her heart failed her when she saw how high it was and how slippery with ice and snow on the top. But holding the egg very carefully, she started hopping up. At last she reached the ice and snow, and now she was almost to the top, and she could see the little cottage all covered with snow where the little boy was sleeping. Then a terrible thing happened. Her foot slipped, and down she came. Downward she flew into snowdrifts. Then she left the ice and snow, and rolling and bouncing against the stones, she felt the air getting warmer. Down, down she went, and she crashed through a thicket of budding laurel, rolled across the pasture, and finally struck against the trunk of a great apple tree that was just getting ready to bloom for Easter. And there she lay, with the eggs still safely clutched in her paw, but with a great pain in her leg. She tried to rise again because she saw a lovely pink light in the sky, and she knew that in a few minutes more it would be day, and the little boy would be sad if she did not get his egg to him. But the pain was so bad she fell down. Then she felt something touch her shoulder and she looked up. And there, right before her, way off in the distant land, was old, wise, kind Grandfather Bunny. And he smiled at her and he said, You are not only wise and kind and swift, but you are also the bravest of all the bunnies. And I shall make you my very own gold shoe Easter bunny. And he reached over and she saw for the first time that he was holding a tiny pair of gold shoes in his hand. And he bent down and put them on her feet. Suddenly all the pain left her leg and she stood up and picked up the precious egg. Then before she knew what was happening, she felt a sudden motion. And she found herself flying high in the air. Over the pasture she flew, over the laurel, over the stones, until at last when she landed, she looked back and saw that one single jump had carried her halfway up the mountain. Then she jumped once again, and there she was at the cottage door. Quickly, she squeezed through the tiny crack that had been left open, just in case the bunny did come all that way. And in the hand of the beautiful sleeping boy, she placed the egg. Then just as Easter morning sun rose over the edge of the world, she jumped quickly back to the palace where she found her little basket for her own little bunnies and went hopping back home to give them a happy Easter. Mother Cottontail found that the garden was tended, and sure enough, just as she had said, everything was in order. The floors were swept, and there were two lovely new pictures painted and hanging on the wall. The dishes were washed and shown in the cupboard. The clothes were washed and mended and nicely hung away, and her twenty-one children were all sound asleep in their little beds, and the little house of Mother Cottontail can always be hold now from the homes of all other bunnies because in a special place on the wall on a very special hook hangs a pair of tiny little gold shoes.